Hello, this is Ellie Levy and welcome to The Bend, the podcast about our choices and what compels us to make them. I spoke to Sophia this episode, a woman who is known in certain Berlin circles because she is the owner of the charming English language bookstore Another Country. Sophia, who is in her 60s, spent most of her life in England and moved to Berlin more than two decades ago. Trans coming out stories are very diverse, of course, and Sophia's experience is no exception. What started off as one of the effects of a health issue went on to change her life and led to her transition. Sophia was diagnosed with liver cancer a year ago, and we discussed that, as well as her insights into the transitioning process. I'd like to thank Sophia for the candid and interesting conversation. I do apologize to you all if the audio isn't the best. This was a phone chat during COVID, so please bear with me. All right, let's start the episode. Hi, this is Ellie. Hi. <laughs> Hi. 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 How's it going? Is this a good time? Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. I will move into the back. Perfect. So, so I thought I'd kind of start off um, chronologically, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess the first question, the obvious question is, uh, where did you grow up? Oh, um, in the 50s, in fifties and sixties in England. Mm-hmm. Uh round about London. Uh-huh. And okay, uh did you what kind of school did you go it's, to? Or? Oh god, I went to public school. Um I don't know, what should I say, the upbringing. Um I guess I was very committed to the counterculture at the time and I still am. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that I brought with me from childhood. So that this was in like the the late sixties then, kind of that era. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. when I was ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. Came out when sixty nine or something. Right. Last year. And did you uh, did you spend a lot of time in England then after graduation? I mean, was that where you lived for quite a while or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was doing lots of things. I bought a flat, but I uh, was in really lousy condition, so I spent a lot of time building it up mm-hmm. and putting in a new kitchen and things like that, and stretching my skills. And then I got a job reading newspapers, which mm-hmm. was fun. Um, I did that for about a decade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that that was basically doing. Um, I mean, it varied, but normally I'd read about twenty um, odd papers, the English nationals, and wow. ten international ones. Mm-hmm. And but then I would cut relevant bits out and make them up into newspapers, sort of like homemade newspapers and things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for different people. Uh, but it meant working overnight so that, say, like Margaret Thatcher would wake up and she would have a copy of the right. thing that I'd put together for her and for the cabinet office in general. Um, yeah, sort of directors of multinationals, that kind of thing. 
And then after a decade, you, you felt like that was it, it run its course, or a, you kind of... Well, it had given me a nice education mm-hmm. and um, controvers and whatever. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yes, just in, in case it's relevant. I mean, when I left university, I'd gone into... I thought about going into um, psychotherapy, mm. and I'd done various qualifying courses. I mean, I, I was a psychology philosophy graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then pulled back from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lots of my friends were involved in that, especially in areas like taking strange hallucinogenic drugs and mm. um, talking about them with the fringe psychotherapy people and what therapies could be structured around this sort of thing out of the experience. Um, Hmm. illuminate um, so that was your yeah. environment so to speak back in the day okay yeah uh-huh. uh, I mean it was always it was not an environment but it was always part yeah it was always like that occasionally there'd be people from the streets going over or whatever and yeah, mm-hmm. into that sort of area <laughs> I see um, and when did you when did you realize that London was right? Because it's London that you're you're yeah you were saying um, was yeah. not was not like the place for you. When did you? Oh, um, I got into a relationship with a woman from Cologne, but it was also I got to the, the, at the same point in time I was getting to know lots of people from Berlin. So I came to Berlin. When was this? Oh, God, this would be late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, moved out of the relationship in Cologne, moved into a relationship in Berlin, and started coming here a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. it, it, it took me until... I mean, there, there were still projects I was involved in in London. So it took me until the late 90s before I... Well, mid-90s before I moved over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so it was more, it was a, like personal reasons rather than being sick of England or something like that, or... Okay. Um, no, I was sick of England, too. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was, okay. Well, I was, uh, no, I mean, the thing was, I mean, it's like you compare the two cities, like London and Berlin, and doing things in London, like how... Oh, you know, you want to start up a restaurant. Okay, average restaurant lifespan in the uh, middle of London, sort of measured in months. Mm. Um, everything, because of property, property really affects everything. Yeah. Um, and in Berlin, okay, it's changed a bit, but it's certainly not on the left of London. You can still do things mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. They can still get spaces to operate in, sure. but a whole bundle of, of things on the uh, on the fringes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you when you came here to Berlin, um, did you have another country, your bookstore, uh, in mind? Is that something? Not really. It was I sort of came over. 
I had a, I had a farmhouse outside Berlin oh, that nice. I bought. Um, um, basically, I just brought everything over and it stayed there. And I was doing bits there and thinking, what do I want to do in Berlin? What do I want to do in Berlin? And okay, well, you know, then I had about ten, twelve thousand books then. Wow. That I collected personally. Um, and this is this is thing that you brought over from yeah, England. I mean, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, the thing is, I was, I was, I mean, as a child, I was hot housed. Uh, oh. My mother had come from a small place in the north of England and got into university, and then failed to get to university because it was 1939, and she had to go off and be a lamb girl or whatever. Oh. Um. So when I came along, it was like I was suddenly this major project. And, mm. Ah, yes, this will this will redeem and, um, or something. I didn't know what was yeah. my really. Were you an only child? I mean, I, I, I have, no, I have a okay. sister, but I was the one that was that had the most pressure, I guess, to mm. perform. Mm. She was sort of. I didn't know whether which of us had the worst, but I mean, her ex expectations uh, were not great. Mm. Um, she was always kind of pushed a little bit into non-academic. Right. So, I mean, now she's taking a PhD in classics. Okay. <laughs> getting through it. But, yeah, I have memories at the age of two and my mother getting really pleased because I had a reading age of six and a half or something. Wow. So you're like a child prodigy. Pretty much. Uh, well, hot house, more than. Okay. Yeah. Well, still, Maybe had... it was reading. Maybe it was reading. I mean, we were going into the senior library when I was about five or six or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you had all these books um, in Berlin or in, in Germany. Uh, yeah. And you kind of wanted to do something with them, basically. Yeah, I was sort of thinking, okay, maybe a sort of bookshop cafe, maybe something with antiques, just the one I was with was uh, quite into doing things with English antiques. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a couple of other friends who might be wanting to do that. It took about a year of looking around for something, and I finally just got completely pissed off and said, right, I'm going out and getting a shop. And I went out and I got a shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird just coming yeah. along, we're walking along here and seeing a note in the window and somebody was in, I went in the door and asked about stuff and yay, yeah. That's great. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's different times. Yeah. I mean, I've got a flat now that I rented. I didn't really need to rent it, it was mainly for a friend. Um, um, but they were sort of leafing it. Oh, you want to rent it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We've got a couple here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You want to pay? Well, yeah. I mean, you're paying. You're paying for this anyway, so we got no need to check for you if you do it rather than a friend. That'd be easier. So, okay, fine, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, that that's where I live now, and. 225 rent for 55 wow. quadrants. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
And when it when it but now I'm just this complete prisoner because I can't imagine ever moving. And, mm. uh, it's like a lot of old Berlin. It's that way. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, some people never leave their their district or their yeah. Um, and uh, so you started. You opened this in the in the late nineties. Is that right? Or early nineteen ninety nine. Right. Okay. Okay. Wow. Just in the twentieth century. Yeah. Yeah. So twenty one years. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, actually, I used to work at um, East of Eden in Friedrichshain. Do you, do you remember that one? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So actually, I remember it was so funny. They came in here. What was it? Who were the guys? There were two of them originally. Yes. Uh, and then it was down to one, and I can't remember the guy's name. Ah, uh, shit. Now you're uh, stumping me, too. <laughs> there was yeah. like a... Wait. No, but I remember they were really sweet because yeah. they came round here just as it was opening and they said, look, um, yeah, I hope you don't mind because we're opening this bookshop and we've actually taken a lot of bits from yours mm. in terms of how you want to set it up. I go, oh, fine, that's great. That's, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lovely place. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, and I remember that. Yeah, like your bookstore and you were also mentioned a lot uh, back then as well. And it's pretty obvious, but I'm still going to ask. Like, what what do you think attracts people to uh, another country? Like, why do you think it's survived all these years? <laughs> um, because I don't really need to make a profit on it. Just one thing. Um, mm -hmm. and because it answers people's needs in certain ways it's I mean yes it's a, it's a reasonable bookshop mm -hmm. good bookshop in some ways mm -hmm. um, it's got the whole thing but it's also a library so you can borrow books nice. and I think that's valuable for a lot of people and then there's things like the Friday nights, which have been going for, well, up until COVID happened, they'd be going solidly for about ooh, 15, 17 years. Wow. I mean, that started off just with, uh, oh, I need to socialize a bit more. Mm -hmm. I've gone through a breakup and okay. Uh, and I'd always like to cook, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have a few evenings, sort of semi-regular, and then they became regular, and then the friends started inviting more friends along, and then it sort of started with, oh, why not go sort of publicish? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and you have a lot of other events too. Like I, I yeah, it's uh, definitely a happy yeah. Place. I mean, at the, at, at the moment, that's all changing. Sure. But I mean, it's not not just because of COVID. It's mm. because we've got a second shop now. Mm. Where is um, that shop? So that's just just outside Kreuzberg and Schönerberg. Mm -hmm. It's in between between uh, Yorkstrasse and Kreuzberg. And it's also called another country, or no, it's called Word. Word. Oh, I didn't, I didn't heard of this. Okay, good. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> I'll come. Yeah. Um, and how does yeah, it? Yeah, we do like, like, I mean, this with this Saturday, there's a Pix of Berlin where we just, we, there are different people we call and say, okay, uh, comedy clubs, and they'll recommend, right, 
this person needs to be seen more or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we have a sort of variety night based on that principle. Okay. And okay. um, there's storytelling and things. But again, it's all with COVID, it's only sure. just restarting. All right. So I'd like to move on a little bit to uh, some gender stuff, so to speak. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I did read your blog, some of it. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but so some of these questions are kind of based off of what I was reading. Some of it just mm-hmm. generally questions. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, so from your from your blog, I, I kind of gathered that you prefer to discuss um, gender in a more like hormonal consciousness altering way rather than like an emotional biographical way. So I was wondering yeah. um, if you could explain that a bit. Like okay, fine. Um, so, so basically, the normal—if there is such a thing—okay, one of the most common uh, narratives of, of trans people is feeling, from a reasonably early age, very much out of place. The degree of dysphoria, often, um, and either very early or very late, depending on how far they manage to force those things down, fit into a reasonably transphobic society, Mm. um, they come to transition. And when they transition, taking hormones tends to be quite a a major part of that, like putting fuel in the car is how lots of people describe it. Mm So for me, I had no feelings at all about gender problems, Uh, uh, but I did get libocirrhosis. Yes, I'd I'd been through some traumatic stuff in uh, England. I drank a lot for a few years, Mm -hmm. and I pulled out of it, but my liver still seemed to be messed up. So I was diagnosed in 2007. Uh, uh, with lymphosis, mm-hmm. um, which first seemed threatening and body Q had three years to live. Wow. But then, within about six months, it was well. Actually, no. You had your measurements. You had your taken in an English hospital, didn't you? Oh yes, right. Okay. Hmm. Um, Better and, and, and it became compensated. So, um, yeah, something to live with. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if you're male, you go through this strange hormonal thing that's a bit like changing to a, the kind of estrogen system that a, a trans would. Um, normally that has no effect at all with a very few, like one in 10, 50,000, whatever. No, nobody really talks about it. Um, you go through this kind of spontaneous change, mm-hmm. which is what happened to me. I mean, it's, the, I mean, the change itself is very much in terms of the way the um, trans the way they describe it, but just 
a lot more horn racing because it included the whole identity shift. Right. Um, and for me, I centered like, okay, so I changed from being um, the testosterone to an estrogen system. And that is pretty much like switching from 95% of what makes a man up to 95% of what makes a woman up in terms of how people talk about gender commonly. Um, So it's like I come down one day and um, I look around and I start thinking, hmm, has somebody been mescaline at a stroke or is this... uh, yeah, is this end stage liver disease? But it's basically better. It's sort of like, yeah. Um, so I took to doing a lot of psychological tests um, to try and work out what was happening with me. And it didn't, I can, I, enough so that I could fairly easily write off having a stroke or. Mm-hmm. Uh, something with great psychological damage. And then I just started getting more and more cues that this is about gender and why am I understanding women a lot more than I'm understanding men now and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I transitioned about six months later. Okay. Wow. That is, yeah, that's an unusual uh, story in that regard, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so that also, because of this, that's kind of like your, your starting point, so to speak, so it, your your way of viewing it is completely... Well, it, 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 it's, it's very different from yeah. a normal trans person, yeah. Do you feel... Um, have you met other people, uh, other trans people with this this experience? And um... Um, <coughs> I've encountered a couple online, mm-hmm. but it, 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 it's uh, and there are two hundred cases that have been written up about overnight changes, mm. usually involving hormones and usually involving some kind of intersex condition as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, 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 they haven't been done by, these have not been experienced by people who were kind of trained in psychology and trained in analyzing alternate states of consciousness, which means that my perspective is, is different again from theirs and what, I'm, what I concentrate on, because it's like, to some extent, it was... I, I don't know whether there was any choice involved. Mm-hmm. I, I think not. And the whole feeling initially felt like suddenly I'm going down a, a dry riverbed. Some, some bank of normal river has given way and I'm going down one that's already been existing but just hasn't been used very much. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there was a whole inevitability about it. But there was something. So I'm, I'm going on this journey of some kind, which I'm probably never going to be returning from. Um, but at the same time, it's a kind of journey of discovery in terms of um, and uh, what I wanted to focus very much on was, well, what are the differences between estrogen and testosterone systems, and how do they operate? Yeah. And feeling myself changing and trying to analyze those changes. Hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I still do. Yeah. <laughs> to a large extent. And you're still kind of on that journey in a way, like, even though it's been years, but... Yes. It's still... Little things to discover. Yeah. yeah. Um... And, yeah, I mean, there's still loads of social things to discover because you miss out on the whole socialization processes, which one can be thankful for in certain ways, but in others, mm, mm. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's not very good for emotional development and um, handling emotions socially, on the other hand, it's really great for avoiding certain problems of patriarchy mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and have you um with that all that in mind have you also met uh, have been met with, with some resistance from from the trans community because of the uniqueness of your story or i mean have you been generally not because the, uh, um no, but it's there's a it's one there is partly an interpersonal barrier, but that's really understandable in the sense that you know I don't have that trans history. I'm, I mean, I'm you know, fine, I'm trans, but I'm not. Uh, I haven't gone through the formative experiences that most trans people have. Mm-hmm. Have you seen your experience reflected in uh, as an avid reader? Uh, in literature or culture in some way, like that you've consumed? Oh, God, no. Yeah. No. It, 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 it's, uh, um, no, I mean, there's that whole thing. I mean, most mainstream literature, and they assume something about bodies, and the bodies are incredibly important, and they link up to the mind in sort of ways. But basically, what you're talking about is genitals. Mm-hmm. They're not talking. I, I mean, I think in a way it's a uh, it's a bad tactic of the trans community to stay away from talking about the hormonal changes or only talking about them in very very general terms. Um, and I can sort of understand it partly in like, oh, you mean if I take hormones, I'll end up like that? And well, actually, no, probably not. It's very, very, very difficult to change um, just with hormones. It's, it takes a freak like me <laughs> thing for that to happen. Um, you have to, I mean, because it isn't simply the hormones, it's you have to have some kind of mental backing. Um, if you, I mean, you know, looking back on my own history, I can see something like the reading I did as being important, um, because there is the whole thing of, 
okay, forming your gender identity normally happens when you're three. And whilst I was sort of like, oh, you're a boy, oh, right. Uh, I suppose the boys were out somewhere, girls, and yeah. Um, because I'd been so, so much into, wait a minute, I'm reading about all these other worlds, not people. And the, because I was reading from such an early age before I identified, um, I didn't actually, whilst I identified without question as a boy, it wasn't a very tight identification. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened, okay, you identify as a boy, you identify as a girl, you're then subject to a whole load of socialization pressures that put you more and more into various stereotypes of that. Sure. Like, oh, you're a good girl, good girls do this, and whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and I guess I didn't identify very much. Oh, good boys do that. They do that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. <laughs> it was kind of, so, so perhaps I was slightly ambiguous in that way. How would you describe um, the like the Berlin trans scene for also for people of your age and stuff, or in your age? Like, is there, is there like a big scene? <laughs> It depends what you mean by my age. I, mean, I guess old. I guess not like super young. Let's say not super old, but not super young. Um, oh, I don't know. It, it, it honestly, so much depends on circumstance. I mean, okay, mm-hmm. if you're younger, you've got a whole set of. Um, sociosexual adventures out there waiting for you and um, but actually forming relationships in Berlin not easy at any age mm-hmm. um, sure. but yeah I mean so much depends on circumstances I mm-hmm. mean I've got a friend who's in her 50s um, she's intersex um and actually, half her life she spent with a partner was um, living with a woman. Mm-hmm. But officially, she was a man and she worked as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and her transition was sort of incredibly easy. Mm-hmm. I have never seen somebody just go from A to B and start passing, like, kind of, of course, of course, you're really, I mean, nobody's going to question her. Uh-huh. Even with Goddamn Stubble, nobody would question her. Uh-huh. Um, and she lives in the same community as she did before. She's perfectly happy that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I guess you're saying that it's the age is not really a factor. It's like everyone's just like... Yeah. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, here um, here it's sort of an ideal place in terms of my situation because yeah. I'm at the center of several communities. And, That's yeah, great. lots of support. On your, um, on your blog, um, you've, also, you've expressed, I'll quote you here, um, I wasn't transitioning to start a new life as much as hoping to be trans- transitioned before I died. Could you maybe go into that a bit? What you meant by that? Well, because I knew I was diving into a process of transformation and I wanted the transformation. I didn't want to sort of think, oh, I'm going to just leave this halfway. Mm. Um, 
transitioning in terms of, okay, will I have my documents right? Will people read me as female? That kind of stuff. That mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. not particularly important. I mean, it really came as important, and it was fairly drastic at the time. But, you know, it, a few years on, and you forget about the trauma, I suppose. Mm. I mean, I always remember getting to the end of... I still have it, that feeling when I get to the end of the street here. Um, but, okay, this was like initially. So I couldn't have... Because of the way liver affects skin as well. So <coughs> to start off with, I couldn't have any laser or epilation, which meant that I had the choice of either going around with extremely thick makeup on um, or going around looking very much like you're in a dress. Um, and I kind of chose man in dress mode because I thought somebody's always going to see me like that at some point of time I might as well get prepared for it. Um, and I think it was a good way of doing it though it did sort of stretch things out a bit. Mm-hmm. I'd get, I'd always have this thing. I'd go out, okay, go out to the supermarkets, and I'd go out to the supermarkets every day because I'd be shopping all week for the Friday blowout. Um, so I'd get to the end of the street here, and I'd think, okay, I have a choice. Either I go left up on Strasbourg, and along Bergman Strasbourg, past all those cafes with people who look at me, and I'll leave, I'll leave. Um, Lots of laughter and joy behind me. Mm. Or I can sort of go straight on and left, which means I miss out nearly all of that bit and I just duck into the supermarket very fast. Which do I do? Mm. Uh, difficult. It's not really to do with bravery now. It's not to do with bravery. It's like... Uh, you know, it's something you know you've got to get used to, but you have to you, know, you do it at your own pace because too much would be too stressing. Right. But nevertheless, each time it happens, it's like, oh, well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm. choices. Yeah, I'd like to then move on to like the the current uh, situation, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you were mentioning um, in our. A bit, a bit ago that you had some health scares in the past um, so how how did you um, process that at the time and um, like, what in terms of the liver thing yes exactly um, I mean okay so the liver thing was okay it was compensated so it still goes it still deteriorates but in a slow, balanced fashion. Mm-hmm. So just basically mostly ignoring it because I knew something would happen at some point of time and but no point in mm-hmm. uh, coming up with it. And then I was diagnosed with liver cancer last year. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm under various yeah. different... Yeah, I, it's a... Really, at the moment, my situation is that um, I've got one little thing to do, and then I should be on the transplant list, but the kind of secondary transplant list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
it's sort of 50-50 if I get a transplant. If I, get, if I don't get a transplant, that's it. I don't really have anything else to it. I mean, mm. I can, they can do different therapies, but it's pretty terrible um, in the next year or two. If I get a transplant, then it's more like, I don't know, Dave Crosby had a liver transplant in the 90s and still about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one because normally, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got the whole anti-rejection stuff and you have to take lots of drugs and you have to stay away from people and whatever. Right. But um, the liver is a bit better because you, you actually get used to it. Your body gets used to it. I think because it, re- it regenerates so quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I mean, you have people giving like half their liver as a living donor, mm. and they regenerate their liver inside about two months. Wow! It's yeah, it's weird like that. But yeah, it generally gets it. It's it's easier to uh, have a longer term prognosis with liver than any other kind of transplants. Right. Um, is there something, I don't know, that we can announce here, maybe for people who might uh, be able to don- you know, donate or something? Is there something, or is it something like internal? Um, I don't know. No? Probably not? Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to, <laughs> to suggest it. Okay. Um, I think it's always a good idea for people to become donors yeah. or to have that around. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there are too few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and where are you at, like currently, in terms of like I guess emotionally, uh, with with the news and stuff? About... Oh come on, I'm thinking about my superpowers. <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had a set of. Um... Well, okay. So basically, I have two tumors in my liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were trying to kind of keep it, the, the, the tumors would be stable, but would still be bad because there's this really horrible window that you have to get through to get a transplant. Mm-hmm. You have to be good enough so that you're going to survive the operation, but you have to be bad enough so you get to the top of the queue. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, the, there are problems with that. So anyway, the, the first thing they did was put in things through the, the, put in chemicals to kill tumors through the arteries. But the, I have one very messed up artery, apparently. So they decided, okay, kill it mm. or kill them. Um, and it's a it's a very well known procedure that they didn't actually give me a name for, but they put needles in and then catheters with a little bit of radioactive substance, leave them in there long enough to be sure of killing the tumor and then take them out again. But obviously, you know, when somebody says, "Yeah, we're going to expose you to radioactivity," what's the first thing you think of? It's obviously Spider Man. Yeah, so it's like, what are my superpowers going to be at the end of this? Yeah, they haven't shown so far, but you know, I have hopes. Would you generally? Would you say that you're like a 
leaning towards the spiritual side or, or less so, or are you cha like noticing these kind of changes in you as well? Like, I think every trans person does. Mm. I think it's one of the neglected um, parts of trans narratives. We all go through some kind of change of reality. And also in terms of identity formation, because so much of that comes from the cognitive tools available to you, and those are very different if you're testosterone or estrogen system. So the kind of spiritual forces you're aware of that are a lot to do with that sort of barrier of selfhood and, um, and the socialization on top of it. The same for me, it was very much on that level. It was like uh, one metaphor, I mean, out of many metaphors, one was thinking, well, trans people... Imagine men live on the land and women live on the sea and in the sea and trans people, trans women anyway, will sort of start to swim often up in the rivers or somewhere like that. Or maybe even they're caught up in the harbour and they're that close but they're not able to get out. And that for me it was like, well... Yeah, I've always been somehow in tune with the sea, but I'm quite, quite happy on land. I just like to live on the coast. And hmm. um, suddenly I'm out on a clifftop one day and the wind comes along and boom, in I dive. And so many things just slowing off. Hmm. Um, so many changes. What function or, or purpose, in a way, do memories and like thinking about the past and things like that have in your in your life right now, if at all? I don't generally spend a lot of time there. Um, partly because there is the disconnect, and it's the, it's the, it's a similar thing to the disconnect that everybody has when they grow up. Uh, that they can look back and there's going to be at some point, some age in their narrative, they're able to look back and remember how everything was and how everything felt. I mean, to, to the extent that memory is reliable and you can do right. reasonably complete. But then at some age, you go back before that and your own relation to the events is nearly impossible to read because you've got a completely different emotional repertoire and cognitive repertoire now. And it, 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 it's so different that it's sort of like it's a different quality of memory. Hmm. And the, that's the difference I have with memories before transition. But... Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, there are lots of events and nice people and I see them and oh, they're still nice people. But, but, yeah. 
do you so you don't really like recognize yourself in a sense in those scenarios maybe as much yeah yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, it, it, so it's like wandering around to this incredibly accurate film rather than mm. <laughs> than, than, than straightforward memories yeah uh yeah. It, it's yeah difficult Mm-hmm. Um, and this this hasn't like changed also with, with the diagnosis and things like that. It's it's you still like that's your yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean I, I mean I think about myself as having like three ages. I've got my chronological one. I've got the age of okay the 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 two things that happened. Um, starting at sort of year naught, going through some of the neurological changes that a very young girl would go through. Mm -hmm. And then having, yeah, having, I mean, my central self, I'm kind of like, okay, 23, that's about the right age. Mm. Um, that's the second puberty age. That's the age when, yeah, um, doing most of the becoming a woman stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, the, and they're not kind of passive things. It's like there are times when, like, oh God, I'm feeling so 12 year old at or something. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's great that you can kind of trace it back to that in a way, right? Some people have that and they don't really know. Why? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Nice. Um, okay. We're, On the we're... other hand, it makes it really difficult to work out who my real friends are. Hmm. I mean, like in terms of the, I, mean, I have all sorts of people coming through here. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> all sorts, you know, and, and, and uh, it's like, what are the ages of my best friend? I mean, I have a lot of them in their forties and fifties, mm -hmm. sprinkling in their thirties, but probably most in their twenties. Right. Okay. Because it, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we. Um, and then that gets really weird because, especially when it's like with um, other LGBT people. Because then I'm seen as an elder. The mm -hmm. hey, wait a minute! Up until about twelve years ago, I was this very normal cis male. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, you've got far more experience than me, but I still, yeah. I mean, I do have. I, I, I do. I have a fair number of people who call me up for somewhere in between chats and counselling. Mm -hmm. um, because hey, the trans community more than any is short of elders in that one. Right. Right. Hmm. So you have a different status depending on where you're at. Yeah. Oh God, completely. Yeah. yeah. I know that you are also interested in, uh, or like your focus in literature is often like fantasy and sci-fi and things like that and mm -hmm. otherworldly things. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So like has, you know, this, the stage that you're at right now, has that kind of I don't know, have you gotten inspired in some way by, by those 
those visions and those those books um, and how to like relate it to your life right now in a way, or, like if that makes sense. Um. Well, uh, to a degree, I mean, it's like I'd always been. Um, it, it you know, it's also partly goes back to the whole counterculture thing. Mm -hmm. So feeling that whilst I wasn't particularly committed to women's liberation on a personal level, at least it was kind of part of a slew of things that started then and that deserved support. And when I was doing science fiction, I was very into science fiction. I mm. used to co-lead groups on feminist science fiction. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess that's a precursor and also something that helps me in some ways, helps me control the raw anger. Yeah. I mean, there is that feeling that I think every... I mean, you look at the way that trans people, they, they, they start transition, and they get very, very woke. They get very, very into a particular set of... I don't know what I call them radical beliefs, just normal beliefs, but 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 the ones that the society in general would see as a bit radical. Mm. Um, often they drift back, but often they continue. And I think part of that is the whole thing of suddenly you're put into a situation where, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like with the standard. Uh, trans narrative is like, oh, I don't fit here. I fit there. I would fit better if I was in a woman's woman's body or a woman, you know, if I was in that role in society. Mm -hmm. uh, and then doing it and finding out, shit, there's so much I hadn't quite realised about how women don't fit in this society anyway because it's not designed for them. Right. Um, and so they get a lot of anger very, very fast. Yeah. Um, that's like somebody talking to me very early and I say, well, what kind of feminist do you see yourself as? Like, well, just imagine like a 10-year-old girl reaching up to her mother, taking her mother by the neck and shaking her <laughs> as violently as possible and yelling, why do you let this happen to us? Quite the image. <laughs> yeah. So the question I, I ask all my, my guests um, at the end is, because um, again, I the podcast also deals with decision making and like big life transitions and things like that, which we discussed, but how how would you say that you like go about making some big life your your big life decisions and do you have like any specific methods or tactics that help you out? Oh yes, 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 yes. Go on. Yes, yeah. I avoid them as far as possible. <laughs> okay. it's, I wait as long as possible, and then with ninety percent of them, it's no longer a choice. It's just inevitable what's going to happen. Right. I mean, I went through a few things with, I mean, okay, the, the thing started off in May, and by September, 
late September, the thing that decided me to transition was reading um, Gender Trouble. Mm. Um, By Judith Butler. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, going through it and thinking, right, this has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with my experience at all. Yeah. That that sort of because I mean, one of my last things was oh maybe I'm reading this all wrong maybe there's somebody else has the answer out there and I'm just not finding it and sort of okay Judith Butler no um, and I mean I waited three months just for getting bits of official stuff prepared and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was very fast, but it was so overwhelming. It wasn't. It, it, it honestly, it wasn't a decision. It sure. wasn't a sure. kind of a. Uh, I think generally in life, I've done the same. I've tried to wait until the minimum of decision making was done. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's also a way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone has their style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I think, the, I think the good thing about mine is it minimizes regrets. Mm. But I mean, okay, so you've read my blog. Yes. How do you, has that impacted at all on the way that you'll kind of think about men and women? Okay, well, I'll position myself as a, as a cis uh, woman, um, 30, 34-year-old woman, almost 35. Um, and um, I, I don't, I, I guess I don't, I don't feel like I have the authority to say something, you know, uh, like, like one, one answer to that. But um, I mean, definitely, like, I was taken aback by, by your story like I you know I've, I've studied gender studies like I, I'm kind of immersed in that world to some degree um, so um, it was definitely like an interesting perspective to have um, I think it's just it's one more I feel like it was it's like an addition to something already very diverse basically that's how I took it um, so and I feel like it, the more stories like yours are talked about and the fact that there is not like the one trans story, for example, is the better, mm. oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I think there's real like merit to that. So I guess that's how I oh. how I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to, you know, generally I try to avoid, I guess, I mean, to some degree, like the biological. I mean, it's not a narrative. That, I mean, I don't look on it as a narrative that people can identify with. Right. I guess it's more like, did you read that thing about the bank card? I don't think I did, no. No, what was that? <laughs> it's, okay, there are things that you lose when you turn to Oh, right, oh, the, the, the pin, the pin number. Yes, yes, I did. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> because it's like, when I went, when I decided to go out and do something, I'm a guy, I've got a routine. It's not even something I think about consciously. It's like going through and... Yeah, okay, I've got to do this, that, 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 that. What do I need? I need keys, I need banker, I need that. Remember that? Do do that, maybe talk to that person. Yes, fine. Okay, I go out. Um, So I've already rehearsed my PIN number. It's part of my 
yeah, this is how I'm going to be acting. Sure. Now I, I've lost that. Mm. So when I go out, I can get, yeah, my pit. Oh, God, what is my pit? What? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I have those, these odd bits like episodes. And it's funny. I mean, it's it, it, it sort of like, I don't think I don't read it as like, oh dear, it's a horrible loss of competence or something. Um, but yeah, it's funny those little bits. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if I've really been able to bring over those things, but yeah, there are the tiny things as well. Yeah, I guess the little things that you can or can't do because yeah, that is that is something. I mean, again, I I don't have that experience of you know kind of experiencing uh, different ways of being, I guess, <laughs> biologically. Um, so I can't, uh, but I, I, def- I can, I, I see your point. <laughs> like I see that it's definitely like a thing that's changed for you so that I can't argue with that, right? Like it's not, um, I guess, I mean, my thing is, would be like where, what to emphasize, I guess, like what, like how, how does that, I guess, also influence other things maybe about how you view um, or how one views like gender. And... I, I think it's well. I think it relates very much to um, paradigms involved in basic perception, mm-hmm. whether that comes from perception or whether it comes from um, some factor which is just you know like a overriding one that affects it but it's you know it's the difference between sensation and perception yeah that's like if i walk down the road now i'm walking into an oil painting i was walking down the road before as a guy i would be walking into a couple of sketches Hmm. Um, because it's i allow myself a lot more information through okay switch into camera mode and obviously i'm seeing virtually the same thing but if I'm trying to appreciate things, if I'm looking for what's significant, if, you know, which is, and there's always an overlay of that in what you see. Yeah, yeah. Then that, that space that's with you constantly of the difference between sensation and perception of the raw stuff and what comes through to you mm-hmm. and how you build, how those are the bricks that you make your universe out of mm-hmm. yeah that's really and, uh, that's really interesting yeah. and do you feel like there's kind of like open discourse about that within the trans no. community yeah I, I... no I, I, I no because it's a, the trans community has to make compromises. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trans community has to not has to. It uh, it wants to make compromises. It wants to get on with the queer community. It wants to get on with the feminist community because there's a huge share sharing of values there as much as anything. Yeah. But it means that there's certain things that you don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, there, if, if something is impinging on <coughs> what somebody might think of as essentialist, yeah. then, oh, wait, no, you have to stay away from that bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and if he wants to talk about gender identity in a way that's outside queer theory in environments where there are lots of queer people who are very much into queer theory, then again, there are certain things that you can't say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean also, a lot, of, a lot of trans people aren't interested in that kind of thing anyway. So. Mm. 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 Of course, everyone, I mean, it's not like there's one unified thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> of course. Course, yeah. yeah. No um, one trans person, and you know one yeah. trans person. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's. Yeah, I, I figure, I mean, just like, it makes sense to me that the, you know, the longer, the more awareness there is, you know, the more, um, I guess, external, unfortunately, like, I guess it's also reliant on external, like, affirmations or something. Um, maybe, like, that also will change the openness of discourse in that regard. Like, you know, once, once unfortunately, because trans people are so unsafe in a lot of situations and you know, so disrespected. Oh, God, um, yeah. I, no, I feel no. like that makes sense to me that they also are protective of um, certain things and don't, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope it was all right for you. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you again. Bye. Have a nice evening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to Chris Yoe Tokunaga for the music and Julie Saragoza for the sound engineering. You can find The Ben on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can reach me at thebenpod at gmail.com. Please subscribe and rate The Ben on iTunes because it really helps with the podcast's visibility. Thanks! <laughs>